If you've got your Bibles, you want to find Luke chapter 17. This is such a great time of the year. Uh, I like to stretch Christmas out as long as possible, and I've met people that are doing the exact same thing, and that's fine. Just curious, as we get started here, did, did anybody get any Christmas gifts? Did any... Uh, are you serious? Okay, some of the kids... Okay, some folks did get some Christmas gifts. I saw one guy pointing to his wife. She did get one. Okay. All right. So you got probably got some gifts, right? And... Uh, you know, it's interesting, you're probably pretty excited maybe about a gift or two, but chances are, if you're like me, you start to forget the gifts that you got. So like, for instance, if I asked you, what did you get last year? Did you get any Christmas gifts? You'll remember, I did get a gift, but do you know what you received last year? Uh, you're starting to think. What about five years ago? Can you even remember five years ago? You probably remember that there was Christmas, but you don't remember hardly anything about that. It's just really interesting. We have a tendency to kind of forget and I found, find that it's not only easy to forget, I find in my own life, it's easy to forget to be thankful. I was reading about this gal by the name of uh, Teresa Bell Kindred, and she recounts this situation where a friend of hers had taken it upon herself to plant trees in a park, trees that had been donated by families that had lost a loved one, okay? And so, she had 23 trees, and I don't know if you've ever planted a tree before. They're, they're big. They're heavy, a couple hundred pounds. And this lady planted almost all of them by herself. On one particular time, she, Teresa went and visited her friend that's planting the trees. She sees another lady coming, a lady that she recognized, and a lady that actually was having a tree planted for a loved one. And she's thinking, oh, that is nice. She's coming to thank her. And she, this lady approaches. She says, remember the tree that you planted for me the other day? And her friend says, well, yes, I do. And then she says, well, you planted it too close to the road. It needs to be moved. And she turns and walks away. And I'm like, what? And she goes on to say that her friend, of the 23 families that she planted a tree for, do you know how many came back to, or ever expressed any appreciation? Two. That's it. Everybody else? Got to take it for granted. And it's interesting. A lack of gratitude, it has a way of bothering us. True? Are you bothered sometimes when you do something real significant for someone? I'm like, no big deal. They didn't even say anything. Or maybe just a terse, oh, thanks, man. You know, like something like that. Like, hey, wait a second here. And it's God. Do you think it's a big deal to God? Is God bothered by lack of appreciation? Does being thankful to God really even matter? I'd like to ask you this. Has God's blessings in your life, have they had the intended effect? You know, if you don't understand gratitude and thanksgiving, there's going to be something critically missing in your life. That is why we're going to meet some folks today, some extremely unlikely people, one of which may teach us a very significant lesson in life. You'll find them in Luke chapter 7, 7, 17, verse 11. Uh, you'll see the situation here. While he, speaking of Jesus, was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, before we meet anybody, let me just kind of bring you to speed what's going on here. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. This is the final time he's making the trek. He's coming from the north, and in order to go from the northern part of Israel, you cut through an area called Samaria. 
And to do so, you, to, to cut through there, is the only way that you can get to Jerusalem, Judah, unless, unless you were like most Jews, you actually went around Samaria. In fact, you would cross the Gordon River, go on the Perea side, and then come across, uh, past the river again, and then get back into Judah. Because most Jewish people hated the Samaritans. Jesus came to the earth for a purpose. In fact, two chapters later, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That is why he came. And he's coming to Jerusalem to fulfill that mission. That's, he's going to go to a cross to make sure that God's divine justice is satisfied, and that's why he's coming. He's making his way to Jerusalem, and he actually seems to cut through Samaria. Now, why were the Samaritans so despised? By the Jewish people. Well, to give you a little history, in 722 BC, the Assyrians came and they conquered the northern part of Israel. And as it would be their custom, when they dominated someone, when they took over new territory, they basically deported the people that were living there, hauled them off to another part of their empire, and another conquered people group, they actually uh, imported them in there. And that's exactly what happened. And so you have all these people that had strange gods and idols and belief systems from another part of the world that were actually transported into northern Israel. And what would happen is that those Jews that remained, well, they started marrying these people. They found out about their gods and their local deities. And like, really? And it's called syncretism, which you basically take your customs and religious beliefs and you start melding them to a new people group. Actually, if you go to Mexico, you see that. You see vestiges of... Catholicism and Christianity mixed with Inca beliefs, the Aztec beliefs, and they're all kind of welded together in this mirage of beliefs. Well, that's exactly what you got here. And the Jewish people considered them completely religious apostates, sold out, wanted nothing to do with them. And that's what, why they would avoid Samaria at all costs. Jesus, on the other hand, must see people differently. And he's not afraid to go into their territory And so as he's making his way, he entered a village and ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. Now, you're just like, oh, lepers. And kind of just pass by that. There's ten of them passing them through. If you uh, were at the time of Jesus and you found out that a person had leprosy, that was the most feared illness of the time. It, uh, leprosy covered a broad spectrum of, of diseases uh, with the skin, any sort of splotching, white things, things growing on you, could even cover what modern-day Hansen's disease, modern-day leprosy, where you lose sensation of, your, of the nerves kind of in your outer extremities. All of that would be identified as having leprosy. Leprosy could be said to be like having the AIDS of the ancient world. It was a terrifying disease. And what would happen is that people thought that if you had leprosy, God had judged you. It's interesting they thought that way because there's really only a couple examples in which God really did judge someone and do so using leprosy. There was Miriam, remember Moses' sister? Okay, she's kind of high and mighty and thought she'd line out Moses and tell things how it should be. And uh, God said, you know, I, I need to deal with your attitude and gave her leprosy for a week. She's quarantined, set away from the camp of Israel. There was another very famous king, 
King Uzziah in Israel's history. And, uh, you know, he, he's a really, he was a great king. It just went to his head. And he thought he was so good, he thought he could just take over roles that didn't belong to him, like the role of a priest. Okay, I'm a king. I'm a godly man. I can do whatever I want. And so he did, and he took over a role of a priest, and um, God judged him. And he judged him with leprosy. But these were exceptional. Most people uh, didn't receive a judgment from God, but yet it was thought that if you had leprosy, God was judging you. Now, how you were identified having leprosy, this is how it worked. The, the priests, the part of the Levitical system, so you have priests in every community, okay? They are spiritual leaders. They present God to the people. They instruct, but they also had the role of kind of like a health inspector, okay? And so if, if you were starting to develop like these weird skin conditions, splotches, lesions, things that are growing on you, your face, your arms, your hands, um, you would be brought to one of the priests, and the priest would examine you, and he's like, yeah, this isn't looking good. And so what they would do is they would quarantine you for one week, okay? So you would be separated from your family. You're not going to work, certainly not showing up at the synagogue. You're out of town. You are quarantined. A week later, you'd appear again before the priest, and he would look at you and examine your skin and look at your face, and if it had progressed and the disease seemed to be spreading or you didn't look like you're getting any better they'd quarantine you for another week after which then you would appear before the priest and he'd look at you and of course if if things hadn't changed or improved then you would see a sorrow that would come over his face and he would put his hand over his mouth and his other hand he'd extend and he would yell this one word that would forever define you. And he'd say, unclean. And that one word would change your life forever. Now, for you, if you had heard this, you'd tear your clothes because you were going to experience a very slow death. This word would unclean would define everything about you, but you'd see it. You'd start to feel it. You'd, your disease would spread. You'd start to eventually feel it in your bones. It'd affect your body. You might get tuberculosis. It's going to tear you down slowly. Now, an up-to-date look at modern-day leprosy, which the leprosy of biblical times may have very well included that, uh, we've learned quite a bit about that, especially from a guy by the name of Dr. Paul Brand. And if you've ever seen these pictures of lepers, you see that they're so disfigured and and like arms are contorted and limbs are missing, especially like digits like your fingers and and like, what, what happens? Well, Dr. Brand discovered that what's taking place is that they lose sensation on their, of their nerves in their outer extremities. And so they, they might scratch their face because they can't feel, though. They keep scratching. They could literally scratch their face off. They would perhaps, a potato, and this has been documented, that would like, fall into a fire and they would try to grab it and they would successfully do so, but they wouldn't actually feel that their hands were actually being burnt. They washed their face perhaps with scalding water but not realize what they were doing to themselves. Or they might grip their tool so tightly that it would actually contort their body. If they were to have a sprained ankle or something go wrong, they they wouldn't necessarily feel it and so they would just start walking very differently than they once did. So to have leprosy, it would be kind of like the equivalence of having like death by inches. This has been documented that 
They could actually have like rats eat off like part of your finger at night, but you didn't know that until you woke up in the morning to see what had actually happened. The social and religious implications of being a leper were devastating. Lepers were legally ostracized. In Judaism, at this time, they had 61 defilements, 61 things that as a Jewish person, you would always stay away from. And they actually had them ranked, okay? These guys really thought these things through. Number two on the list, leprosy or coming in contact with someone with leprosy. Number one was contact with a dead body. They had rules. For instance, you could never be within six feet of a leper. A leper always had to call out unclean. As soon as he saw people moving toward him, though he would desperately desire to be touched, to actually have a conversation with someone, he always had to yell out unclean. And if the wind was blowing, it had to be 150 feet separation. For years, there would be no incidental contact. You wouldn't ever be in a city on a street. No high fives, this idea of a hug, the idea of contact with others never existed. You would be banished, you'd be turned away, you'd be considered untouchable, you'd be avoided by people you did not know, and you'd be condemned to a future you simply couldn't bear. They'd be quarantined, and oftentimes they would live in camps, a leper's colony. They would band together because they actually needed each other to help support each other. Your life would be reduced to begging. You perhaps had relatives, and probably early on they would try to bring you food and try to care for you, but even then that could get sporadic. The leper, he was hated by others till he came to a point where he hated himself. One ancient rabbi said, you know, quote, when I see lepers, I throw stones at them lest they come near me. Another said, quote, I would not so much as eat an egg that was purchased on a street where a leper had walked. If a leper actually stepped foot in a person's home, that home was then considered unclean. Do you get the idea? Do you know what that would do to your soul and your mind and your heart? If someone had declared you unclean, try it on for size. Don't just like, the leper... What would it be like if it was you? All of a sudden, this was occurring. Josephus, the Jewish historian, he summed it up by saying this, quote, It's as if they were, in effect, dead men, dead men walking. To the rabbis, there was no cure for leprosy. In fact, they considered to be cured for leprosy as difficult as raising someone from the dead. And so for this individual, these individuals that we even meet here, these 10 leprous men who stood at a distance to meet him. Why? Because they're unclean and Jesus must be holy. There would be a series of lasts and a series of firsts. There would be a series of lasts. The, the last time he would actually be in his home, last time he'd have a meal with his family, the last time he'd be able to play with his children, the last time he'd ever receive a touch from his wife. Last time to ever be in a worship service at the synagogue. The last time to be at the marketplace. A last time to actually touch his tools of his trade. That would be all followed up by a series of firsts. And that first would be to actually say, I'm unclean. It would change everything about his psyche. He would yell it out. He would feel hopeless. 
And he would begin to see it. He could see the changes in his body. He could feel it in his bones. But he could see it in the faces of people over time. He'd encounter them. He would see mothers seeing a leper, grabbing their children and pulling them away. And he'd have to call out unclean and it'd literally tear him up from the inside out. Good thing he didn't have a mirror, but he didn't need one because he knew how wretched he was. He had that pitiful refrain, unclean, unclean. There was nothing in him commendable to God. That's why he would be in a perfect posture to receive grace. That is, if you were a leper. In fact, it would go so deep that your theology was that somehow I deserve this, this great condemnation and life. And so he would gather with others. In fact, we find 10 of them. They're standing outside at a distance. They believe that only God could heal someone like this. And obviously they heard that Jesus had such a power. Notice verse 12. There, these 10 leprous men, they stood at a distance. We understand why. They wanted to meet him. They'd heard about this Jesus. Jesus had healed people, blind people, deaf people, lame people, lepers. On three different occasions, Jesus had raised someone from the dead. And Jesus was coming through their village. And so they call out, verse 13, they raise their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It wasn't like, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. This is everything. There's only one hope in my life, and that hope would have to be Jesus. And so he calls out, all of them are calling out Jesus. They're calling him Lord. They're calling him Master. Would you have mercy on us? And so, verse 14, when he saw them, Jesus said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. The priest acting like the health inspector, well, how it would work is like, if you really were healed by leprosy, you'd have to present yourself to the priest and he would look and examine you and like, it's gone and you are no longer unclean. You are free to come back into society, free to go back to your home, free to work, free to worship. But how many priests had ever seen the leper cleansed? Zero. Never going to happen. In fact, to see someone cleansed of leprosy would to tell you that God is in your midst. And so they're crying out, Lord, Master, would you have mercy on us? Would you please do something? Would you help us? And did you see that? Verse 14, Jesus doesn't heal them. In fact, he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. For them, This would be like an invitation for further rejection and refusal and humiliation. They wanted healing. Jesus gave them an order. I mean, they're going to go back to the very same people that condemned them. We already know we're wretched. We already know we're leprous. We don't need to be told that again by a priest. I just want you to go and show yourselves to the priests. We've been there, done that, and we're unclean. And yet, look at verse 14. They go. Jesus doesn't heal them. He asks them to obey, and they do. And as they were going, did you see that? They were cleansed. Here are these ten lepers dragging their sorry bodies to the priests. This is terrible. Why would Jesus do this to us? All of a sudden, they kind of look like, whoa, wait, wait a second. Your your arm, your hands, look look at your, your skin, your your face, eyebrows coming back, ears, nose. 
whatever facial problems that they had, they're suddenly being addressed. All of a sudden, they're, they're walking correctly. Their fingers are back. They see hairlines, eyebrows. They're restored. What? They're looking at each other. Can you imagine? Like, look, who, wait, what's going on? And they literally would be celebrating. You could just see the dust kicking up. I mean, they could be overwhelmed, overjoyed. Not just one, but all of them. We're talking a mass healing Jesus does it when he sends them to the priest. They're just overwhelmed with joy and gratitude. Look at this. God has done a miracle in our midst. And I want you to see this, verse 15. They're cleansed. And now, verse 15, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. One of the ten, he's like, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, I got to go back to Jesus. And so he does. He turns, he's glorifying God that has the idea of praise and thanksgiving with faith and joy, an expression of true gratitude. Not just mumbling a song, not just saying, thank you, God, but literally meaning it from the heart. And notice verse 16, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And whoa, he was a Samaritan of all people. He shouldn't, be doing, he shouldn't get this. But he comes to the feet of Jesus and he gives thanks to him. Now, this is really interesting, but look at verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? Where are they? It's very interesting in the Gospels, Jesus rarely asks questions. That's because he knows all the answers. But when he does ask a question, he does so to drive home a point. He fully knew what he was doing. He wanted those priests to be put on notice that Messiah is in their midst, and soon he will go to their cross. He wanted these lepers to fit in with what had been established, to go and show themselves to the priests. But there was something more that was intended more than just a physical healing. God wanted these people to be made well, fully. Not just their body, but their soul. He says, the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus knows who he is. He's like, are you serious? Just the one foreigner, the Samaritan! Are you serious? You're the only one that's coming back to give glory to God for this miracles? Well, it's interesting. It's like um, apparently the nine were so absorbed in their new happiness that they could not spare a thought for its source. We don't know exactly what they're thinking. I mean, I mean to be healed like that, wow, that's huge. I mean, like, Maybe it was just like, wow, that is really cool. I love that God did this for me, and they're going on to their lives. They cannot wait to get back to their family, and we can understand that. Perhaps it was like, I beat leprosy. You know how like people say, I beat cancer? I, I did it. I overcame it. No, no, no. Let me tell you something. You didn't beat cancer. God restored your health. You can't beat cancer, but God can do a work He may work through the medical community or he just flat out miraculously halt your cancer or even heal you altogether. But let's make no mistake that God does that sort of work. And do you see what he says in verse 19? 
He said to him, Jesus said to him, I want you to stand up and I want you to go, and you might want to underline this, your faith has made you well. It's, what he's literally saying is your faith has, it should be translated this, saved you. Because the Greek word is sozo. It is the idea of bringing salvation, wholeness. You, it's more, more than just a physical healing. Jesus says, you coming to worship me, that faith has brought salvation to you. Your faith has saved you. All ten were healed. One was saved. And that's what you need to understand. God's gifts are meant, us, meant to bring us to Christ. And here's something else you need to know. You're not whole until you truly have salvation and you're trusting in Christ. We're so caught up on the health, like how am I doing and how are you doing and how are you physically doing? And that is really important. Don't get me wrong. But far more important than your physical condition is the condition of your soul. Are you truly well? And the only way you can really be well to experience real salvation, to really be whole, is to know and to worship Jesus. And although it's wonderful to have physical healing, it pales in comparison to eternal salvation. That's what this guy has in verse 19. It goes down to this, friends. Those who are really thankful become worshipful. Those who are really thankful become worshipful. Now, before we just get too hard and start judging those nine, like, oh, sorry, guys, right? I mean, you're kind of feeling that, right? Come on. Jesus heals you from leprosy. You don't think you could, like, do a 180 and say, man, I, I can't tell you enough how thankful I am for that. Before we judge them too harshly, let me just ask you, how's your GQ? How's your gratitude quotient? How's it? Do we often just take blessings from the Lord almost for granted? You know, we've probably experienced untold blessings from God. But we are, as a people, naturally unthankful. As we've been going through the book of Romans, did you notice that right at the very beginning, when God declares the depravity of man, that how far we've missed the mark, that one of the things he highlights, like in Romans one twenty one, is that we're not thankful. He says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or what? Or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. I mean, people know about God. I mean, you've got to be way out there if you say, well, I don't think God exists. I mean, you have to basically ignore all the evidence of creation, the universe, the planet, your body. I mean, everything speaks of order, of intelligence, of creation, of design. I mean, to say that there's no God, man, that is a critical leap of faith because all of creation speaks the living God. And we Americans, yeah, we believe in God and we'll even say something about him when it's PC, politically correct, like we're desperate as a nation or as a person. But you can know about God, but God wants you to know him. And you can know about God, but if you don't truly know Christ, you're probably not thankful. Why should you be? You become the self-made individual. And it's really interesting. God is so gracious. In fact, why is God so good to all these people? I mean, there's people that are just blatant non-believers. They're vulgar, crass, rude, like, ugh, difficult to be around. And yet God can really bless these people. Why? Why does he do that? 
Romans 2, 4, he says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The reason God's kind to you is because he's trying to bring you to himself. And he does so by just even being gracious. In fact, in Acts 14, verse 17, uh, it's like all of the things that God gives, like rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good things and food and gladness. Do you know why God does this for even non-believers, ultra-pagan? Why? So that you will trust him and know him, to know his gracious nature. And yet, many of us will not have it. I mean, just think about it. Think about how God good's, has, been, good been, has been so good to you. Your family. Your business. Are you serious? You're getting a paycheck? Are you paid that much? You're kidding me. Really? Where did that come from? Some of you have gone on a serious leap of faith with your business. And God is blessed. What, what's all about this? What is God trying to accomplish? God's trying to bring something eternal through his temporal blessings. I've really been uh, wrestling with this. Ask myself, am I really thankful? Or do I expect things? Am I good at griping when it's not quite working my way? Or am I truly thankful? Have God's blessings had their intended effect on my life? How about you? Have they for you? You know, we make kind of blanket assumptions that we're thankful. I, I must be thankful. I mean, I gained eight pounds eating food during Christmas. I must be thankful because I've gone through the Christmas season. I must be thankful because I bowed my head and thanked God for a little bit of my food when I thought about it or someone made me do it. Really? Are you really thankful? Maybe God has done something rather amazing and miraculous in your life, something deeply personal. I mean, just looking around, I know that some of you were in the ICU this year. I visited you. We were praying that your life might be extended, and you happen to be here today. Maybe God has done something amazing in terms of providing for you. Maybe you had some sort of serious illness. Maybe there's been a relationship that has, that has been healed or at least moving in that direction. Maybe God has provided in ways that just could only be described as, God, you've not forgotten me. Are you really grateful? Or have you just moved on? Has God's blessings had their intended effect on you? Or maybe life isn't working out like you'd like it. You can take a pass on being thankful because, frankly, life is hard, right? I'll be thankful if this, this, and this happened. But, you know, I understand it's tough. I know that there's folks, spouses left, a loved one's passed away, finances are totally tight, health is not good, you've got family problems, and maybe you are the problem, you know? You ever struggled not being the world's greatest parent? Yeah, I have. That's, that's difficult. So maybe I, don't, maybe I shouldn't be thankful, right? I'll tell you this. The most intense moments of thankfulness are not found in times of plenty, but when difficulties abound. You might be going even right now through your own great depression, but giving thanks is an act of faith. It's a manifestation of trust and devotion. And you know what? Even when we cannot understand God's ways, we can trust his good and his providential hand. And I think if you'd stop, all of us have probably been blessed a lot more than we're probably giving God credit for. Life, family, friends, food, air, right? Entertainment, church, 
people that care about us, education. But do you know the greatest blessing of all? The greatest blessing of all is God himself. We get fixed on the horizontal. God gives us gifts so that we learn to seek him, to know him, and to enjoy him. Their gratitude was not merely for their gifts. What you want to do is move to a place where your gratitude is for God, the giver of the gifts. So I just want to ask, has, have God's blessings had their intended effect on your life? Most people just keep moving without ever giving thanks. And do you know that God's temporal blessings are meant to have eternal implications on your life, literally to bring you to a place of salvation? That's what's going on, and that is why you're here. God wants you to know, my goodness to you is meant to draw you to myself. You know, if you don't learn how to be thankful, I'll tell you what happens. You're going to become bitter, discouraged, and self-satisfied. You are on the trajectory to life without God, eternally. On the other hand, gratitude gives us perspective in the midst of life's trials. It gives us joy in the midst of the journey. And it is an indication that Christ has indeed saved us. Do you know that you are always in God's will when you give thanks? Remember? 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We got a lady in our church and every time God moves her and she's in her new place, She says, I just kind of get down on the floor. I get down on my knees and I thank God. I understand he's the one who's provided for me. You know what the opposite of thankfulness is, don't you? It's selfishness. Basically, I deserve what I get. You know, there were 10 lepers that were healed and that's a wonderful deal. But that healing had the intent of bringing people to the feet of, of Jesus. Who really cares if you're genuinely thankful to God? Who really cares? I'll tell you who does. Jesus does. Jesus does. So have God's blessings had their intended effect on your life? Every gift that we have received, even if we have taken them for granted, if we don't learn to express gratitude to the living God, we will miss their effect on our life. Namely, knowing God deeply and personally. You see, those who are really thankful become worshipful. So this Christmas, I'd like us all to take a lesson from a leper. We need to learn the blessings of being whole before God, and that's only found when we come with gratitude and worship to the feet of Jesus. Your faith has made you well. Try this. You want a new life? Try being thankful just three times a day. It could even be for 20 seconds. But acknowledge God. Thank God. Thank him. You'll start seeing blessings everywhere. You'll start growing more mature and like him. And God wants us to know him, to enjoy him, and to thank him. And so today, I want to give you a gift. I know you've been real busy going from one party to the next, and you might even be the life of the party. I'd like to give you a minute, just silence, You giving thanks to the living God and coming to the feet of Jesus. So we're going to just bow our heads and then just a minute, I'll close this in prayer. Lord, we're here and you have our full intention. We see the lesson from this leper. And Lord, we need it so badly in our lives. So right now, 
We simply give you thanks. Lord, you are so good to us, and, and perhaps at times we've completely missed that. But God, we want that to change. <laughs> we want to continue to grow and mature in your likeness and your loveliness. We understand that gratitude has a big role in that. And so, Father, for those who have come here today, they may know about you, but they have never trusted in your Son. They've been blessed but they've never received the gift of real eternal life and forgiveness of sins. But you have their attention now. Would they simply pray with me and say, Lord, you know me. And I want you to know that today I I turn from myself and my sin and I trust Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. God, fill me with gratitude and joy for your glory. And for all of us, Lord, may we continue to grow as a people wonderfully worshiping you, desirous to see you exalted in our lives, grateful for the blessings, grateful for you. We ask this for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.